Oh my God, it's been a while since I've done this. Fluid. <laughs> Mate, since we've been doing these in person, this is like a bit weird to do this on Zoom again now, isn't it? It feels almost like back to the pandemic, doesn't it? It feels like we've been transported back in time whenever it I does. do a Zoom call these days. It does. It's a bit weird. Hello and welcome to the Idle Hand Society podcast, a community for creatives. I'm joined today by Paul Bentz. Good afternoon. And Roland Ramanan. Good afternoon. Hey Roland, how's it going, man? It's really good to have you on. Uh, you've been doing some seriously deep work in your documentary photography. How's your Kickstarter going? You've got like about six days left now, right? So there's six days left of the Kickstarter, um, and uh, I've been overwhelmed by the response. It's been going really well. So we reached the, the, the target. I've sort of set a modest target of uh, £6,000, um, and it's now 7000 and something, um, which is great. Congratulations, uh, man. So, yeah, no, thank you very much. So I've never done one of these before, and I'm not someone who has a you know kind of a huge reach on social media. So you're always a little bit um, cautious about you know kind of how it's going to go. But I've had uh, very good support from uh, from Dally Lewis, the publisher, and kind of other people who have um, circulated it. So yeah, so they're really really pleased. So it's gone a little bit over. Um, and the bit that's going over is, is going to probably contribute to a few centimeters of um, of the page size. <laughs> so <laughs> every every little every little helps. How was the Kickstarter process for you? Was it was it stressful? Was it uh, easy going from start to finish? Did you, you um, did a video, right? How, I think how... yeah. I think um, it hasn't been too bad. I think because a lot of really good people have gone before me. I'm also a member of um, a collective of photographers, a photo book collective, uh, people like Matt Riddle and, and so on. Um, and, you know, Mimi Malika, for example, you know, has been a very good friend to me and um, sort of a kind of a mentor and he's uh, kind of ace uh, at doing Kickstarter. So there's, um, so there's kind of a, a more established formula and kind of you know a way a way to go about it and i think that has been very helpful and i think also from an audience point of view you know they now know what the kickstarter looks like and what to expect so you've had you know from blue coat press for example you know they funded so many of their um of their books through through the kickstarter so i think that helps i mean it is i'm, I'm lucky you know i'm not working at the moment i'm not on, sorry i'm not in paid employment i should say so i've i've got time you know to kind of faff around every morning dreaming up new things to post you know what shall i post now uh to tell people but to bore people silly about the kickstarter but it's it's, it's it has gone reasonably smoothly obviously i've got the the second part of it now which is you know the uh the fulfillment so you know <laughs> having boxes of books arriving I'm, I'm having a conversation with photographer mark uh, Mark Wilson about um, about corrugated cardboard and uh, you know what he uses to <laughs> pack his books. So th these are the you know the, the kind of arcane details that you have to get you have to get into. It's the sort of stuff you don't really consider at the beginning, right? No. <laughs> so they think, oh yeah, how am I going to pack it? And you suddenly think, yeah, that's right. You think, okay, well if I'm going to send a print, how big is the print if it's not going to fit inside the book? Will I then have to post it separately? All, all these, all these things you have to, you know, kind of uh, think about. Yeah. 
Can I, can I ask you, uh, you said you're not in employment, but what was your day job? Because I'd be interested as you're a photographer, you seem, you seem from the video I've watched with Ed that you worked in something, me and Daniel were talking before you came on, what does he do? What did he do as a day job? And I was thinking, he's got to be something kind, something, something that deals with people. I, I don't know what it is. I'm doing a lot oh, of Oh, that's great. Guess the day job by looking at the Kickstarter video. I think this is brilliant. This is a kind of fantastic. It's a whole new lane. It is, yeah. I'm a bit, I'm a bit disappointed that you didn't say. Oh, well, obviously he was in showbiz, or, or I thought you were a doctor, or, or, or something. maybe he was a detective, or something like that. So no, so I, I worked for uh, for many years, thirty years in in education. So I worked um, uh, mostly in the London borough of Tower Hamlets. So I started as a primary school teacher. Um, and then I worked for a learning support service. So it was a team of specialist teachers that um, advised schools in Tower Hamlets how to in include children with a, a range of special needs. So, yeah, worked for that service for about 30, for 30 years or so uh, and was managing the service. Uh, and then I took uh, redundancy uh, a couple of years ago. So that allowed me to kind of focus on the photography uh a lot more um so uh and, do you think yeah. do you think that doing that job has helped in your photography do you think it's it's enabled you to have those maybe those softer skills of dealing with people uh oh yes i'm very soft <laughs> um so but uh yeah um yeah absolutely um uh immeasurably so you know all, all the kind of skills you need to be able to you know to relate to people to kind of interview them to you know to to handle difficult situations um and not escalate them and things like that but, i mean they're all things that come into my training particularly in the um working for the special needs service so i think you know that's it's coming coming very useful definitely I, I wanted to talk a little bit about dominoes and how you how the project started for you and then how you've managed to move from maybe being an outsider to an insider maybe yeah, I mean, I started uh, being interested in photography through street photography. So um, I got an SLR camera. I knew I had to get an SLR. I didn't know what SLR stood for, but I knew I had to get an <laughs> SLR, whatever that was. Um, and then I thought, okay, I know someone who's a photographer. It was a guy called David Gibson, who's a street photographer. Um, and then I looked at his work and was really entranced with street photography. And that's that's kind of where I started. It's where I met people like Mimi, for example, and uh, Peter Dench, and you know, doing workshops with him and, and so on. And then I wanted to do something which had a bit more kind of content to it. I was going to be looking for a project. And Gillet Square was somewhere I knew. Gillet Square is in East London. Um, and in that square, there's a place called the Vortex Jazz Club, which I know very well. I've played at the Vortex, gone to many gigs at the Vortex. And as you walk through the square, there are people kind of hanging out. There's um, people playing, there's people skateboarding, but there's uh, a lot of people who are street drinking as well. So they are um, kind of hanging out, um, drinking, and obviously a lot of them are issue-affected people, vulnerable people. And I thought because it's a place I know and I felt comfortable with, I thought maybe I would kind of start there. So I just sat down, started talking to people, listening to their stories, um, and then gradually talking about, you know, taking their their, their photographs. 
And, you know, around this time, I was expanding my vocabulary and my kind of knowledge of photography and getting interested in people like Eugene Richards, for example. You know, he was a, well, he is, you know, kind of a massive hero in my, of mine in terms of social documentary photography. So in my head, I thought, okay, I want to do something like that. Um, and that's where it started. And, you know, you talk about going from the outside to the to the inside, and that sort of happened literally in the sense of a lot of the early pictures were taken in the square. So I would be kind of hanging around in the square, waiting for something to happen, talking to people. But it's not always an easy environment to get, you know, to get good pictures. And I knew that I had to, to go to people's houses um, and go into other situations and kind of follow up in that sense. Um, and that's what I kind of started to do. And I, you know, I'd be uh, invited into people's um, homes um, or invited to parties, um, invited to what are called nine nights in the um, Caribbean community. So I started to seek out those, um, you know, those kind of events and those uh, situations. And that kind of led to a whole uh, new level of the work, if you like. Uh, did you ever feel vulnerable in any of those situations as a photographer? Did you ever feel like you, you know, you were at risk or there was any danger to yourself? Only very occasionally. Only very occasionally. I mean, sometimes I would be booted out of somewhere, um, or I'd be in a situation which was very uncomfortable. But I could usually walk away very easily. So you know, it's it was kind of very, very rare that I would feel threatened. Um, and I think also as, you know, I'm doing the project, you know, in kind of evenings and weekends over a period of 10 years. So people got to know me really well. So usually, you know, in that a situation where someone was being difficult, there was all, all the, you know, there'll be other people around and say, oh, no, 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 he's, he's all right. He's all right. You know, he's rolling, you know, yeah. it's fine. It's cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, sometimes there, there were situations where I could ha either had to stand my ground or, or just know when to, you know, know when to walk away. But again, as you say, it's the, the skills of knowing how to de-escalate situations, you know, comes in, comes in handy. Yeah, I imagine that your experiences, uh, you know, teaching, you know, you, you have to learn a bit of uh, behavior management that I'm sure, you know, trans yeah, I was going to say, I mean, sometimes, you know, photographing people who were, who were users, who were drug users. But I was never in a situation where I was there with a, with a dealer, um, or at least not, you know, kind of indoors or on my own, you know, kind of, you know, with a dealer or kind of, you know, in that, in that situation. So I, I know, for example, you know, someone, someone like John Bolton, um, has done some amazing work in the north of England, you know, with, uh, you know, with drug users. I know he has been in some hairy situations, but I was kind of never, never in that, in that kind of situation. Did your colleagues at the time that you were working full-time, did they know what you were doing, like, outside? Did you ever talk to them about the work you were making? Um, I mean, not that much. I mean, only if they uh, were kind of friends outside work, um, I would talk to them about it. Um, so they would, I mean, they, they kind of knew vaguely, yeah, I was, I was doing photography and I was doing kind of photography stuff. So occasionally something, you know, would, would come up, there'd be, um, you know, a, a, a local exhibition or something like that. And I kind of invite a few people along, right. but it was, it was mainly, um, you know, kind of quite, quite separate. 
Yeah, I imagine it would be a, a strange conversation to broach with somebody that wasn't familiar with what documentary photography is. You know, you're you're hanging around with these people that society doesn't necessarily put on the same kind of level as somebody in in education, you know? And it must it, um, it would be very difficult to describe to some of these people, oh, I'm hanging around with... No, um, yeah, uh, I think not at all. Um, I think because of the, the, the nature of uh, the work that we did in Tower Hamlets with the Special Needs Service, the people I worked with were very, very familiar with the issues that I was looking at. Uh, okay. So I think the... The situations I was in and what I was describing were actually things that you know they dealt with a lot uh, on the periphery of their of their work because we worked a lot with um, with the community. So I think it wasn't that. I think it was just a, a desire to kind of keep the two things um, separate. You know, it's going to keep keep kind of clear clear boundaries. But obviously, you know, a few a few people you know, kind of knew and you know saw some of the saw some of the photographs. And now, you know, doing the Kickstarter. Um, you know, a couple of people have you know circulated it to to colleagues, and um, and they've pledged. You know, which has been which has been absolutely you know amazing. It's been really um, uh, yeah, kind of humbling. Absolutely showing that support. Yeah. Um, one of the questions I bet you're going to be asked a lot is about the the ethics and the vulnerability of the people involved in the photographs and how you kind of to manage that and dealt with that. And I imagine that you will get a bit of. You might get a little bit of heat from certain people on online, but I, I just kind of interested in how you approached it and how you're going to deal with it, really. Yeah, I think you know the heat uh, is uncomfortable, but it is welcome because I think it's absolutely necessary that you're you're always asking yourself that question. So I'm always kind of interrogating myself about you know whether this is the the right thing to do. I mean, what I would say, and I talked about it a lot with. Uh, with Ed in my interview is that I'm talking all the time to someone more experienced than me about the pictures. So I worked with um, documentary photographer Stuart Friedman with Mimi Malika, um, showing it to other people. So, you know, for your, for your listeners, if you're kind of embarking on something like this, you know, I think it's absolutely vital that you are working with someone else and working with someone who's more experienced um, sharing the pictures, talking about them, and you know, and there, and there are pictures that uh, that I took out. Uh, I remember, you know, discussing a picture with Mimi where two of the people, Paul, Paul and Bianca, that you see in the book, they're you know they're having a very fierce argument, and you see distress on the face of you know one of the children, and the argument is quite uh, is quite heated. So you know. I felt if I had to explain the picture by saying, well, no, Paul isn't being violent to his child. And Mimi said, well, if you have to explain it, you can't show it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you have to go into that kind of explanation to show, no, this is not what you're, you know, what it seems to be, then the picture doesn't work. Um, or the picture is, you know, is not representative of who those people are. So there are always those, you know, those kind of nuances. But there are photographs in the book of people, you know, taking heroin. Um, and again, you have to, I mean, doing the project over a long period of time is you get to know people, you can circle back to them and you can show Did we lose you? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, 
this I've is lost work. Roland. Yeah, yeah, it's all frozen for me. Are you all right? Are you still there, Roland? Sorry, I think we lost you mid-flow. So I yeah. can hear you guys. Okay, oh. you're, you're coming so back. Just, it's just... You're coming back. <laughs> you're um, back to us. That, yeah. Sorry, I, I think it was quite an important point. I think, I think you're back now, Roland. Um, it was quite an important point. Can we just circle back? So um, we heard yeah. you up to the point where you were talking about um, there are photos in, in dominoes of people taking heroin. So, so there, are, you know, there are photographs that show drug use. Um, and from the very beginning, I, I was kind of far enough into the project that um, I could say to those people, look, this is something that I want to show in the book and I want to, you know, talk to you about those issues and about those struggles. So I was upfront about the fact that I wanted to show that in the book. It still doesn't take away from the fact that, you know, I'm someone in a much more privileged position, you know, with much more power. Um, doing the project over a long period of time, it gives you time to, to circle back to those people and kind of ask them if they're still happy with it um, and to have those conversations. Did you show but them pictures? Always, sorry, did you show them pictures along the way, or was it? You know, have they seen any images that you've taken during the project actually being live, so to speak? Um, I mean, I would usually show them straight away because okay. you know, digitally, you can show them in camera, um, and then I might go back and show them afterwards. Uh, I mean, there is one person who's passed away, so you know, I can't show her um, and someone I've kind of, I've lost contact with, um, but I'm, I'm trying to get back in, back in touch with them. But it all, it is always a balance. I think, you know, in the end I want to, yes, I'm showing them taking heroin, but that they are very honest and upfront about that from the beginning, but I don't want to show them um, in some light that is not representative, that is not honest of you know who they are at the time and to try and represent their their story and do it with do it with tenderness and do it with uh you know with with respect so you know it's tricky but you you get you know you get feedback yeah. feedback from from the publisher from the mentors i'm working with and i think one thing i don't want to do is i don't want to look away from those those very real issues because they are, you know, they, they are massive issues. I mean, for example, one of the, the, the people I photographed, she got uh, into drugs partly because of childhood trauma, which is, is you know, there in a lot, a lot of cases, but she um, discovered her aunt's Oxycontin medication um, and then she was hooked on Oxycontin. Uh, and it's you know so tragic what uh, what happened to her to her life you know she was studying nursing and that was all you know she was then you know raiding the drugs cabinet and she ended up begging on the street and then you know in a terrible in a terrible state but I think she's in a better place now and she's found a bit more stability and she's in in a hostel but you know these are these are real ongoing issues that um, uh, you know the, the council and other services are are kind of battling with. So I think it's important, you know, not to shy away from them. Do you think think society does shy away from these issues? Do you think it doesn't, you know, accept that they exist? Or do you think, I mean, it's a big question, I suppose. I think, you know, inevitably, uh, there is is so much going on that it's kind of, you know, difficult to kind of, you know, embrace all these complex issues. The pandemic came along... um, you kind of look at what's happening in in the world now. You know, there's there's you know no shortage of you know of very difficult news. Don't know whether it's true, but I, I had a kind of a, a feeling that um, 
particularly after the pandemic and everything that was happening, the, the appetite for people to look at very difficult social documentary diminished. Um, and it became harder to confront these issues and to kind of show them just because, you know, quite reasonably, uh, you know, people's acid, um, appetite for kind of looking at that was, uh, you know, was perhaps saturated um, at that point. Um, but, you know, but they are, they are difficult issues. But, you know, having said that, I do want to show a sense of community and a sense of uh, joy as well. Um, a sense of joy, particularly with the, within the black community, but I'm also at pains to, and I talk about talk about this in the in the book introduction uh, about the, you know there are people that have overcome their addiction, like Nina, for example. You see her with her children, but also about success stories from Hackney Council as well in terms of their approach. So, for example, in the council, you know, death from um, drugs, you know, has greatly diminished in recent years. Um, as a result of a specific project that they're um, uh, they're working on, so the the, the text of that and the, the the book dummy I've I've sent to people in the council for them to have a look at as well to kind of um, you know get their get their feedback and they've been they've been very positive about it so that is uh, you know is kind of very encouraging. It's great news that they're actually doing something as well. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, you say actually doing something, but uh, you know. Hackney Council, you know, has excellent services. I think, you know, this needs to be emphasised that, yes, of course, there, there is a, a problem in, in London and, you know, many other places. Um, but, uh, you know, there are excellent services. It's just not not enough. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, that's, you know, probably you know, more down to uh, um, cuts to the budgets, um, you know, for those, uh, for those councils across the country. What's, what's your hopes for the book? I think um, if, if, if I think about um, the place Gillett Square um, and the reason I started it, as you as you as you walk through the square and you you see some of those characters, some of them may make you feel uncomfortable, and you know you might possibly give them a wide berth or steer clear of them. I don't know, um, but you may not want to kind of give them a second look. And I think the book is about encouraging people to have a second look and to have a deeper look um so even if you know kind of one person has a, a window into those those kind of lives which are maybe not like their lives and sees them in a different in a different way in a, in a kind of a deeper light um then that will be brilliant you know that will be that will be fantastic um you, you've put a lot of effort into this right <clears throat> you can hear it you can really hear how much thinking you've done about this um about the people that you've been working with and about this project that you've been on over the last 10 years. After you've finished this and you've sent out the books to everybody that's um, back to you, what what happens then? Because you've, you've got these bonds with these people, right? Is this, is this full stop for this particular project about Gillett Square? Or, um, or will it I think carry that's on? A, is, a, is a very good question. Um, so there are... A few people, uh, you know, that I know very well, and I'll always continue to be in touch with them. So one person in particular that you see a lot in the book is a woman called Nina. She's a Roma from Portugal. Um, and I'm always in regular touch with Nina. She's got um, two young children, um, and I'm the godfather um, of those children. 
Um, so in fact, I should uh, you know go and go and see her more definitely. Mm. Uh, and she is a real fighter, and you know she still has so many struggles in her life to you know to over overcome. So you know having overcome um, problems with alcohol and drugs is kind of almost almost the, not, I wouldn't say the least of it, but there's still so many challenges for her in terms of her living situation um, mm. and you know kind of bringing up two children like that so you know because she's done well social services are pulled back a little bit um and she really misses the support it's a real kind of struggle so you know i'll always continue to um see nina um see her kids photograph her follow up on you know on on that story and who knows with with gillis square when 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 the pandemic came it was sort of a natural break in terms of the kind of shooting part of it Right. So I tended to stop going to Gillett Square. It came. It came to sort of a natural conclusion, and that's when I started the you know the editing and pulling it together as the, you know, as a as a book. Um, uh, I should say as a kind of you know mini shout out. Uh, there's an organisation called Future Hackney, um, and Future Hackney. Um, if you you kind of look them up on Instagram and so on, they've uh, really taken up the baton in a different way. So they do interviews and portraits of people around Gillette Square, Ridley Road Market. They've got some more projects coming, looking at the radical black history of the area. They're, they're doing, you know, fan, fantastic work. More more to come. So, Are you involved with that project as well? Um, not really. I mean, I, I, I kind of know them, uh, the people that are uh, kind of involved. So we kind of, you know, in, encourage each other. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so I don't know in terms of direct involvement with Gillette Square. Um, that I don't know. I have I have come to a kind of a decision that I think I'll I'll do it in color if I do do more. I started off uh, in black and white, and this is kind of a little bit of a side a side issue, but um, it is quite interesting. If you know the know the photographer Dina Litovsky, I don't. Um, I don't either. No. So oh, she, the name. Dina, oh, she um, is kind of famous for doing a lot of flash work, particularly kind of um, parties in America yeah, and yeah, fashion yeah, things and stuff like that. Yeah, but she yeah. has she has a very good um, uh, sort of podcast. What's the word I'm looking for? It's um, kind of like a sort of newsletter kind of um, thing called I think In the Flash or something like that. And she you know she writes about photography. Um, and uh, kind of poses questions and things. So what, she said, one, one of her sort of, um, not pet hates exactly, but, you know, things that people use to try and, you know, make their photography better is, you know, put it in black and white. That was one of the things you mentioned. Or just shoot in the golden hour. You know, she's seen so much photography. It's just like saturated in orange, you know. But she said that the thing about, uh, you know, just put it in black and white and she put her hands up. She said she did exactly the same in her early photo days. She put it in black and white because she thought that's what it should be. It should be arty. And she realized, of course, you know, that her work and these, these parties, as soon as she put it in color, she realized that then it came to life. That's, that's what it, it should be. Right. And it did make me kind of question my own motivation. I kind of thought back and I, I thought, oh, you know, Eugene Richards, that was in black and white, wasn't it? You know, he was, he was you know, kind of my hero. Maybe that's part of the reason if you sort of really ask yourself why did you make it in in black and white i think there are there are other reasons partly of you know limits of technology wanting to kind of bring it together obviously the advantages of black and white in terms of photographing you know people and and, and so on 
But having finished the Gillet Square work, the Domino's book, um, I'm shooting another project which is uh, on roller skaters, and that's all in colour. You know, that's a, a colour mm. thing. I've got, I've got better equipment. And so now I was kind of thinking, okay, well, if I, if I go back to shooting in Gillet Square, you know, would I go back to black and white? And I think maybe, maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I would kind of explore what, what color had to offer. Um, so, you know, that would be, that would be interesting if I go back. So I know personally when I photograph, I've got a very definite idea before I start whether or not I'm going to be working in black and white or color. Is that something that you have when you approach a, a subject or do you kind of just work it out when you're doing your post-processing? I mean, Domino's, uh, the Gillet Square work is really the, the only thing that I've consistently done in black and white. So I think when I started it, I definitely conceived of it um, as um, a black and white project. What do you think? What do you think it it be in black and white versus if it was in color? What you know, if you, you if you, could you can you imagine a color version of Gillette Square, and how how the two, would you think it would still have the same powers? That's, yeah, that's an impossible <laughs> question to answer. Isn't it? Um, yeah. I think I think not now. I think not now. I think I, you know. Um, let's put it this way: I don't regret um, having it in black and white um, at all, um, and I think also partly. I wasn't exactly in the early days of digital, but still, you know, my equipment was more more limited in its scope, particularly in you know in low light than I have now. So, from a, from a purely practical point of view, it was a lot easier doing it in black and white. You know, to bring together to bring together a project that happens in so many different places. Uh, you know, it literally happens in every every possible environment you could think of. So, you know, that was one the consistency that you. Maybe wouldn't yeah, that was that was that was one advantage, and I, and I think also you know the 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 echo of other black and white documentary work does match this uh, this project. But you know, I, rem- I remember doing a, a portfolio review with the the, the ex editor of the of the British Journal of Photography, and he said, um, you know, why have you put it in black and white? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, it, you know, it makes it it makes it look kind of historical rather than current. And you know that's that's a fair that is a fair point. Um, Do you think so? Do you think a lot of this is just personal opinion? Because I've been told both. Because I'll I'll jump uh, every project. I seem to flip back from color black and white, color black and white every single time. People that have seen various projects have said, "Oh, you should only work in color, or you should only work in black and white." Yeah, and yeah. I, I don't know. Does it? Well, what does it? Does it even really mean anything? I think you can mix the two as well. I've seen great books that mix it quite well. I think it depends, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like there's no, I don't think there are no rules. I think actually that it's just what you think makes the work feel the best, right? What you're trying to, you're trying to, you, you are trying it to be consistent, but also I think you're trying to give it meaning and to give it some, and I, I was going to say this earlier because but we got, I think something happened, but I think, Having spoke to you and watched your video, you can tell that you're a kind, empathetic person and that the kindness comes out in the photographs that you take, right? I think we are a reflection. Our images are a reflection of who we are. And I think I think it suits this work perfectly. I, I think the BJP guy does know what he's on about, right? <laughs> I, I think, um, you know, whichever you choose, whether it's colour or black and white, you can't get away from what's come before. You know, if you were to go out and, you know, and shoot in colour, you know, 
on film, people will say, oh, yes, you're kind of, you're, you're kind of going after that kind of Eggleston look or whatever. Or, you know, if you shoot in black and white, oh, yes, it's that Anders Peterson look, you know, because we're all familiar with those, um, uh, those, those sort of, you know, historical figures. So, you know, whichever you choose will, will always have, it will always have echoes of, of that, whichever kind of style you do. But some, sometimes a project just, you know, just suits one or the other, I think. Um, but, and again, right. it's also, you know, your, your personal, your personal preference. If you, if you go out to shoot a project and you really love black and white, you're probably going to do it better than if you go out and think, mm, oh, I think it should be color. But I don't really <laughs> like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, but maybe that's a good thing. Force yourself to do it. I don't know. What's more important to you, taking pictures or the finished product? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think um, process and making a book I mean, is, is such a, you know, I may, make, I may never make another one. Um, no, you I, don't, I, don't, I don't, you know, I don't print at home or I don't sell many, many prints. I'd, I'd love to sell more prints if any of your kind of listeners want to get in touch. Um, so there isn't that much kind of, pro, I suppose the process is, is, you know, sitting at my computer editing pictures. Uh, and I do actually, you know, quite enjoy that. That is that is fun, but I think um, there is nothing more kind of thrilling in a way than being in a situation that you wouldn't normally be in and seeing events and a scene unfold in front of you and try to capture something from it. So, you know, particularly when you're, you know, you're in someone's home, maybe, or, or you're in a situation which is, you know, which is not where you would usually be. That is, for me, you know, it's kind of quite exhilarating. It's a strange thing. I'm, a, you know, I'm a fairly grumpy old man, kind of, you know, <laughs> kind of hermit, you know, don't talk to people in shops or, you know, on the <laughs> yeah, yeah, public transport, you know, don't talk to anyone. Why are you talking to me? That kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, when you have a camera, you know, it's it's completely different. You're in, you know, in completely different situations. Do you think or, the camera has changed you as a person? Uh, oh God, I hope so. <laughs> Do you think it's made you more empathetic? Um, has it made me more empathetic? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. Have, have you always taken? Sorry, I, I, have you always taken photos like? always always that from from a young age or you got into it later in life uh i mean seriously i got into it later in life but i've I always enjoyed i mean so before camera phones i've always enjoyed taking a camera on holiday and taking pictures but that's that's mainly where i would have been taking pictures is you know traveling and going yeah, on holiday okay. but not really day-to-day -day life and i, I think that's like what you were like documenting an event, right? Like something, like if it was somebody's yeah, birthday, yeah, you might the birth, camera. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a slippery slope. That's where it starts, right? Yeah, <laughs> but, the, but, the, but, the, but the the idea of going out into the street and just taking a photograph, I mean, that was where when I saw street photography, um, it was kind of mind blowing to me. I mean, it's kind of it, it's it's you know, if you haven't sort of crossed that threshold before. It's mad, isn't it? It's, it is. It is very difficult to describe. You suddenly, you walk out into the world and you, you literally see everything around you in a completely different way. Yeah. Uh, and so for a while, I was completely intoxicated with that. And that's why I've just spent hours wandering around the street. 
Had you done street photography before you realized what it was? Or, or was it the kind of thing you saw right. it in a book or something and then you were like, oh, I need to try this? Uh, no. So it was, as you, as you say, I, I knew David Gibson through something else. He was in a book group. So, you know, someone I knew down the pub in a book group and he said, oh, I'm a street photographer. And so then I looked up his work uh, on his website um, and I was kind of blown away. So that's when I, you know, got onto onto Flickr. So this was, you know, just after the beginning of street photography now and the big explosion in street photography. So I, I came sort of just after the beginning of that. So there was a lot of great community and a lot of the people that I still know are through street photography. Now, I've, I've kind of fallen out of love with street photography because I, I just, you know, A, I realised I wasn't going to be really good at it and I wasn't winning, you know, prizes for best shot and street photography and street photography awards so got extremely grumpy and disillusioned about that um but also also you have to wear up so many pairs and, of shoes to be a good street photographer um, yeah. as well, don't you? um but but also you know completely unconnected with my lack of success in street photography um i got bored with it now you know uh, maybe if i had been really successful at street photography it'd be, it'd be a different story but i, I did kind of get get bored with uh seeing lots of street photos and it just seemed to be the same thing over and over again however i do love the street photography community um because there are a bunch of incredibly diverse people who love all kinds of photography and are just interested in photography and i know that you know if i go on holiday to i don't know berlin lisbon you know mumbai or whatever i can look someone up Mm -hmm. I can look up a you know a street photographer and say, oh, let's let's hang out and we'll go and you know shoot and take some pictures and so you know even if I don't necessarily love street photography in that same sense, I do love I do love the community because they're very open to all sorts of things. I did the same thing as you, man. I I started with street photography and then slowly found my way over to documentary a few years back, and I, I think it's one of those things that every documentary photographer I've ever met has always started on the streets. Like yeah. Every single yeah. one of them. It's a, it's a gateway drug, isn't it? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, obviously, there are those people who are... Uh, Stills. Who, well, yeah, but also people who, who are, what, what I'd say, proper photojournalists. In other words, you know, their route was through, through press. Yeah, uh, sure. And the, you know, the kind of the, hard, the hardened professionals... Yeah. Um, I have met some. Yeah, they, they probably kind of look look a bit askance at street photography. I think. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. okay. <laughs> is that something that you? Is that a muscle you still like to flex once every so often? Like, let's take trips to Lisbon out of it. Like, if you're just walking around London, if you, are you ever just like, hey, let me just put my street photographer cap back on for a second? You know, it's it's really funny. Um, I'm not the carry the camera with me everywhere I go guy. Oh, you're not? I, no, I'm, wow. not. I'm not. That actually really surprises me. Whoa. Yeah. Really surprises Whoa. Me. I know. Whoa. I'm sorry. I'm, you uh, broke my heart, I, Roland. I, I, I know. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I don't know why. I think I would like to be in my head, <laughs> you know, but I think I'm not. I, I think it's also partly because I don't have a Leica. So, you know, I'd like to have... <laughs> I'm very lazy and I don't like to carry things. Yeah, I hate um, carrying anything. So, too. you know, if I if I had a, you know, kind of a 
perfectly kind of, you know, hand size, you know, really good camera I could carry around. Maybe, maybe I would, but I, I tend to, to use it for a specific purpose. So I'll go out to, you know, to shoot on the project and then I'll leave it. And now when I go on holiday, I just use my phone. Mm, but that's interesting. But with my phone, I actually don't take that many pictures. So I don't do the street photography thing anymore. So it's really, it's, it's really funny. But I mean, every now and again, I think, oh yeah, I should do that. Just, just as an exercise, purely as a, as a, as a, as a practice exercise for my, for myself. I've seen a couple of your um, coloured photos of the, the the new project you're starting, the roller skating one. Just in the back of Roland's shot, I can see a random roller skate, some wheels. I can see, <laughs> is, is that a trumpet? Like there's yeah, little see, glimpses, there's little glimpses into you can see a trumpet. personality. So are you a roller skating trumpet playing? Can you do both at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't advise it. <laughs> That's a quick way to lose teeth, Paul. That's a really quick way to lose teeth. I was going to ask you this earlier, but I forgot. But you said you're a jazz musician, so you play the trumpet, right? Is that in my uh, assumption? I, I play the trumpet. I, I'm, I'm not a jazz musician, but uh, I do do improvised music. Uh, so kind of purely, purely improvised music. So I've done that for a very long time. Mm. Um, and at the moment, I'm in a, in a long tunnel of trying to, to reset my, my embouchure, which is which is a very long story, which your listeners will not be interested in <laughs> whatsoever. But the roller skating thing um, started during lockdown. Okay. So I live near a park in East London called Victoria Park. Um, and I would know it well, go out yeah. for my daily, daily walk, walk around the park. And I'd see these people roller skating, but um, it wasn't the fact so much that they were roller skating, but they were dancing on skates. So they, they were in a particular spot and they were doing all these dance moves on roller skates. And I hadn't really seen this before. Um, not, I hadn't really kind of seen it in, in, in movies. Obviously, movies and things did, did exist, but I hadn't, I hadn't seen it. I thought, oh, that's cool. Maybe I could take a few photographs of them just to sort of, you know, while I'm waiting for the pandemic to finish. And I assumed they'll be, you know, getting back to Gillett Square. So I had a, a, a contact. It was actually an ex-work contact. Um, he was a, a skater. So I started taking photographs of them. And what I very quickly discovered was that the skating was part of a, a deep culture. And in a sense, this, this also links back to, to Gillett Square in the sense of wanting to explore black identity and black culture. Uh, that the roller skating linked a lot to um, music culture and skate culture from the United States, for example. It had a lot of links to the way people find spaces for recre recreation in the urban environment. So there were lots of strands that were much more captivating and interesting than just, you know, the roller skating itself. So it's two years later, and I'm still taking pictures of them. And I very soon, you know, found myself in car parks up till three o'clock in the morning in far-flung parts of London or, you know, going to roller discos and, you know, this kind of thing, hanging out, you know, kind of recording, recording the culture, which was, which was, you know, not my, my plan at all. So it happened by accident in answer to your first question. Um, and roller skating itself happened through people in the community saying, come on, roller, when are you going to roller skate? 
I said, just no way, mate. You know, <laughs> I've got no, you know, I've never skateboarded or ice skated or done anything like that. So, you know, I'm a 57 year old man. I said, there is no way you are going to get me on roller skates, but they wore me down. Yeah. And I remember I'm glad they did. <laughs> <laughs> so now I roller skate and, uh, you know, tonight I'm off to, uh, to, to Tottenham to roller nation for, um, uh, for a jam skate lesson and then be rolling around the rink. Nice. So, uh, so that is so that's yeah. That's, that's been a that whole project is again is a real uh, kind of interesting journey. Have you looked into like roller derby and stuff like that yet? Not really, not really. So my, my kind of interest is in mainly skating as an expression of black culture, um, and so I'm looking particularly at the at the roller rinks. Um, what's called jam skating, rhythm skating, which is the the kind of the the, the dance tradition in roller skating, um, but also whether where they kind of gather in um, kind of car parks and other spaces that are that are suitable, and the very particular style of of London skating. It feels is, like you've got a a really good nose for an idea. It feels like when you 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 kind of you tap into something quite early and then you run with it. Is there is there a part of you that 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 you know in the process of maybe early doors thinking that this isn't a good idea or I, I like do you have you have you done any projects where you've kind of thought oh my god? But it feels like from the skating and from Gillet Square, both of these ideas, black identity, black communities, but. Did you, like how how where, where where's the part and you think oh this is good I, I like this is it the images that come in and you the, the, they're giving you that sort of instant feedback and you yeah I guess so I mean it's um uh, it's a combination of the the images that are coming back but also the the interactions that I'm having with people so it's it's um so it's a bit like I said if I so I don't know if you take skateboarding for example I'll, I'm probably now going to have a hailstorm of hate directed at me, but um, <laughs> you'll be fine. The, 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 There's the, a massive crossover the, in the, our the, listenership with skateboarders. Yeah, it's it's a different. It's just it's a, it's different. It's a different. It's a different culture. So the photographs would be kind of mildly interesting um, immediately, but then maybe the culture behind it for me anyway, um, you know, wouldn't be. Now, you know, that having been said, I've, I've actually, you know, because of the roller skate project, I've got lots of great books on skateboarding, but they tend to be books by people who have been skateboarders and followed the culture and followed people who have traveled, you know, all across the world who have mm -hmm. been skateboarding. So they've, they've got access to that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I haven't got the same, the same access, uh, but within roller skating, you can very quickly access the the culture which is behind it mm. and it's that that makes it more that makes it interesting it's the stories and the culture behind it which you know could lead to you know to a book or to a more uh in-depth project rather than just the activity itself if that if that makes sense does mm, yeah really um, good. what about your um about your music i started out my creative I was going to say career. I definitely wasn't going to make any bloody money out of it. Uh, like in music, I was in a punk band. Um, we used to do a few shows a week. And then we used to, we did a few like fairly short tours. But it, it had a massive impact on me. And a lot of what I brought to photography was lessons that I kind of learned on the music scene. 
Um, and I think there's an overlap. That's kind of how this podcast started, right? Uh, there, there's an overlap between different creative mediums um, that I don't think really gets explored enough. Like people don't talk about what you could learn from, say, uh, a painter, right? But there's definitely things in there. Is there anything you've picked up that you've taken back and forth between music and photography and and anything else that you're up to? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think, uh, I mean, the kind of music that I'm engaged in means you have to think on your feet and improvise. And it's also, it's about listening to people. It's about listening and interacting. So there's a very strong link there, I think, between uh, between that and obviously the kind of photography that I'm uh, interested in. So draw a parallel so if i if i if i go to a party um you know and it's kind of it's an unstructured sort of social situation i might feel you know a bit shy or a bit awkward if i am teaching you know i have a particular role um uh or you know i I know how to kind of you know how to interact how to kind of listen again with within music you have to listen and interact but you have a particular role to play within that and again when you're you know when you're photographing you are because you have the camera you have a particular role you know what that is um but you have to listen and engage you know really uh attentively so you have to kind of engage those senses live as the situation is unfolding um so and that's for me that's what i'm interested in i think that's why I'm not very good at photographing things which are still. You know, I know you know you know people right. who photograph buildings or still lives or whatever. I just can't take a good photograph of that for you know for for love nor money. I, just, <laughs> I need to, I need to be in a situation which is kind of you know kind of live in front. You need of, a rhythm. You need a pulse. A sense. Something like that. Something like that. I mean, that's maybe that's just a sort of uh, you know a lack of skill that needs to be developed. But yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask the, the we, we ask this question pretty much for everybody who comes on. Um, and what's one tiny thing that brings you joy? And get, we can give you some examples if you want before. Daniel has got a list of them. You can pick a number between one and what? Is it, Dan? Oh, yeah. Great. Uh, oh, I need to update this list. Uh, 22. I'm up to 22. Oh, okay. Um, I will take 19. Sitting in front of a fire with a drink. Like a nice rum, old fashioned, maybe next to a little fire pit. There's something about fire, isn't there? Like, definitely. Yeah. 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 Wood, wood there's got to be a wood. It's got to be an open fire with the smell of wood. And, you know, it's, it's oof. Yeah. But that's, that's a tiny thing that brings me joy. It's like, it's not a, an extravagant thing, but it's just, it's just one of those little moments where when it happens, you're like, oh, this is really nice. That is nice. Um, I would say, um, just having a, a a lovely quiet moment with my wife on on holiday somewhere. Just when you kind of sit down to see a sunset or have a drink, or um, I mean, she's you know kind of very busy in her work, so it's nice when we kind of just like get that time away and do something like that. So that's a you know a, yeah, quiet, a, good quiet, a quiet moment of uh, of joy, which is you know which is really good. That's a really nice one. Mm. We've had some really random ones in the past as well. I can't remember who come up with some of these but 
one of the ones that stuck with me was when you hoover up a coin accidentally and you hear it go up the tube. I wouldn't. I wouldn't like that. That's yeah. That's kind of yeah. That's feel your I'm already frustrated. I just want to get the coin out. You want to get the coin out? Yeah, that does give me anxiety. I think that was that Seppi. Seppi de May. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that that one really stuck with me because I was like, oh yeah, that is kind of fun when you get something like a little rock or something like a coin and you hear it bounce up the tube. Yeah, but to actually like it. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I'd go out of my way to hoover up big lumps. Have you, have you got any more questions, Daniel, or do we go to shout-outs? Is, is it is, is shout-out time? Let's have a, a little look at some, some shout-outs. Um, I've got one prepared. I don't know if have you two have had a think about this. So, Ronan, um, just, just for you, mate, these are... This is just anything you've been enjoying. It doesn't need to be over four. It's just something you've been enjoying this week or this morning. Um, so for me, the my shout-out is a, a record. It's a record by a uh, by uh, an EDM artist uh, named Lawrence Guy. And the name of the record is Living Like There's No Tomorrow But Killing Yourself in the Process, which sounds like a quite, quite kind of a heavy theme, but the, the record's really great. Lawrence Guy. Um, I'm going to give you a book. I'm going to give you a book that I've just got. We haven't had a book in a while, Paul. Yeah, it's uh, Port Albert UFO Investigation Club by Rue Lewis. And it's Ooh. and it's really good. He's, it's like I'm a South Wales boy, so it's from really close to where I used to live. And, and he's a London photographer. And what's amazing to me is that um, how warm and tender, and it really reminds me of home in those images, um, uh, it's just wonderful. It's a wonderful book. It's wonderful, wonderful. It's probably the best book I've had this year. I really enjoyed it. Um, That's a big I mean, statement because we're in November now, and you yeah, had some cracking books this year. Yeah, and it, I that I really love. Um, what else? There's a few good ones I've had this year, but that's up there, I think. And maybe again because I'm a Welshman, but you know, I'll I'll, I'll give that. Yeah, because so, I've I've heard about this. Um, this is the yeah the second time it's been mentioned, so I need to uh, I need to check it out definitely. Nice, good. There's a warmth to it and a tenderness and a kindness and um, yeah, I think that's I think that's one of the hardest skills to get across in images sometimes. And I think when you do it and it works, it's like oh my god! And, mm. I, and I, I it made me smile as I was flicking the pages, you know. Yeah. Um, and we're gonna Rue's gonna come on the podcast hopefully in the next couple of weeks, so we'll we'll. Uh, talk to him about it but um, nice. yeah yes i think I, I think i bumped into him in bristol um but uh yeah brilliant were you bristol was you, were you um a... photo book the the photo book um yeah bristol on photo books or whatever it's called oh, in the pop, pop. Yeah. yeah we were we there were, too we were there we did we, we, did, we were there when we, we briefly popped in oh yeah 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 so who, did, who did we see speak who what was the name of the woman we saw see was it sue we saw a couple didn't we it's not going to come back to me. Paul. Yeah, it's gone. No, it's I'm gone. an idiot. I'm an idiot. Like I, my memory is short. That's why I take photos because I can't remember anything. Um, but yeah, there we saw some a couple of really good talks. Were you selling your book there, or were you just? Yeah, I would, um, as a as a punter, but also um, uh, so Dowie Lewis was there. So Dowie Lewis are, are publishing the book Dominoes, uh, but also um, Vika Books uh, are there. Um, so I should just mention Vika. So Vika uh, design photo books. So Victoria Forrest from Vika Books 
she had a stall there. Um, so she is the the very wonderful designer uh, of my book. So uh, it was yeah, it was great to kind of catch up catch up with them. I see. Okay, cool. So it was like a part pleasure, but also a bit of bit of networking. For yeah, yeah. And in fact, the the year before, where when I visited Bristol. Um, I was on the lookout for someone who was a book designer and I'd, I'd never heard of Vika, but that's where I saw them. Um, so mm. I was very lucky. In that uh, do you, do you like, I mean, I, this is the one part I really dislike about like putting myself in those situations. I feel really awkward in those situations. Is it that, like, do you have to get over that? Is it part of you is like, okay, I've got to put myself out there. You know, do you, do you enjoy that bit or do you dislike that bit? Um, I dislike it, but it, it's, you know, it's not, it's not easy. It's, it's, it's kind of one of those things, it's okay once you start. Okay, okay. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I had to, you know, as, as I said to Ed Thompson, you know, go with, with my book dummy, at, you know, at Photo London, you know, rock up to the publisher's stand and say, you know, Here, here's my dummy, will you take a look? Uh, That's amazing. I, I see. I don't know if I've ever got the balls to do that. I think I'm so impressed by that. Like, it blows my <laughs> mind. Yes. It, does, it does, honestly. Can I just, I'm impressed it, with myself. Like, like I am. Like, I, I don't think I would ever. Would you have the, the guts to do that, Dan? Do you think? I don't know. Probably not. To be honest, with no. You. I think I, I'm too much of a. I don't know. I think I suffer I, with too much of the imposter syndrome. I think I'd. Yeah. I think I'd just have a like a mild panic attack on the way up with my book dummy. I think I'd bottle it. <laughs> I, I think it know. helped that basically, you know, Victoria said I had to do this. So I thought, like, okay, right, I've got okay. to do this. You know, she's she designed the book. She's made the book dummy for this express purpose. Does it happen a lot? Is it something that happens a lot? Or does it not happen a lot? I, do you know? Do you know? <laughs> um, I, I think it does. I think there are a lot of people who are, you know, that's why they make book dummies, is to try and push it and get it out there. And um, I, heard, I heard, you know, did hear this story about someone at, Al, you know, pushing their book dummy un under the um, the uh, lavatory stall of a you know kind of a, of, a, of a publisher, which is probably not the way to go about it. I would I would say, um, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get anyone's good graces by doing that, right? I, I think it's not the way to win friends and influence people doing it that way. But uh, you, yeah, you do. I mean, but also that you know the, the publishers are used to it. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know and. Even though you know most people didn't didn't get back to me, they did look at it and say, "Yeah, it's good." Um, and that kind of you know gave me a bit more a bit more confidence, conf confidence to do that. So, uh, well, I'm glad they did, mate, because that I'm. I mean, I we haven't actually even said this yet, but both Paul and I have uh, backed your book, so I know oh, both of us both of us are you. really yeah. really keen, looking forward to to getting our copies and, and really pouring over well, it like, because yeah. we've, we've seen like the smallest smidgen of what's in there, I'm sure. And yeah, I, I'm already I excited. think it's really, really important to say from the images that I've seen as well, I think you can get across who you are as a person, which is a really important skill, right? And I think the, you know, you, you, having spoken to you now, I think, amazing. I'm really excited to see it. Oh, well, that's very encouraging. That makes all the difference there. I do really appreciate that. No problem, Roland. But I'm not letting you off the hook, mate. Come on, let's have your shout out. Uh, okay, so um, in doing this process and doing Kickstarters, um, I've met uh, another photographer. He's a filmmaker um, and a photographer who's also doing a Kickstarter right now. Um, and his book is going to be published with Dowie Lewis. So he is called Mark Chapman. And the book is called God's Promises Mean Everything. 
and it's it's the kind of a, a portrait of, of of one person, of one person uh, in one room living living in a hostel, and uh, it's really beautiful work. It's really beautiful work. So you know, if you go if you go to Kickstarter and look for for Mark Chapman, God's promises mean everything. Um, then I think it's uh, it's really well worth well worth backing that project. So that is my is my shout out. Thank you so much. Thank you, Roland. Yeah, well, leave a. I've, I've just found that now on Kickstarter. Ah, um, oh, brilliant. And yeah, actually, this this work is right up my street. It looks, um, yeah, it's pretty good. Oh, it's incredible. Okay, yeah, yeah I'm going to be back in that. The second yeah, we go there you go. School. And uh, it's in colour, you notice. It is in colour. Yeah, it is in colour. <laughs> uh, I'm going to leave a link to that in the show notes. Oh, great. So. Um, Everybody that's listening along on their podcast player of choice will just be able to hit the show notes and they'll see a link to that. Um, Finally, just before we let you go, Roland, where is the best place for everyone to keep up to speed with what you're doing? Obviously, by the time this comes out, the Kickstarter will either have just finished or will be finishing very shortly. Um, Like, where's the best place for people to catch up with what you're doing next and... And hopefully get a copy of this book if they missed out on the Kickstarter. Yeah. Ooh, that's interesting. So I'm on Instagram um, as Roland Ramanan. Um, so you can see stuff there. Um, but also on my website, um, www.rolandramanan.com, hopefully. Um, Perfect. And both of those will be linked in the show notes as well. So uh, just click on over and, and check out what Roland's up to nowadays. Mate, honestly, it's been um, it's been incredible. Oh, I better tell people where they can catch up with us, Paul. I was just about to wrap things yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> you can catch us at Idle Hand Society on Instagram. You can catch Paul at Paul Bents UK on Instagram, and I am at Dan underscore S underscore Higginson. Just to be a real pain in the ass, but if you just search my name, you'll find me. I'll try and link up as much stuff as I can in the show notes. But there's been so many things mentioned that I'm bound to miss something. So if you've heard your name and you're not on the show notes, I'm sorry. Just ping us a DM and I'll I'll add you in. I'm so looking forward to getting Domino's, mate. Oh, I, th- I think this is going to be one of those books. I think this might be um, this might be my book of the year. I'm not really sure, but it's uh, brave. <laughs> will, will it will it be printed before the end of the year? When when do you think we'll uh, finally um, get a copy? I think pro- probably early next year. Um, okay. Kind okay. of interestingly, though, there's more design work to be done on it, so we've got more kind of decisions to be made. Uh, so you know, you'll, sure. you'll enjoy that. Which, yeah, kind of. It's kind of. It's <laughs> I know kind you were saying in, to Ed, you were you were going to include kind of quite in, a lot of text as well, right? So I'm guessing there's some last minute tweaks on the stories and that kind of stuff it's still happening, right? Yeah, I think um, the the text is is kind of more or less done. It's 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 more it's more decisions about the size and the shape of the page mm. and how that will influence the kind of the rhythm and the layout of the, of the book. So, you know, if for people who, who are, you know, kind of embarking on these kind of things and, you know, and they're new to it, these are the, the sort of challenging, you know, decisions kind of what's the page size? What's the page size? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> by, the t- by the end, you're just like, I don't care I don't what the page size is. <laughs> um, no, Have you been do down care. a rabbit hole with paper stocks and all that um, kind of stuff as yes, well? Yes, well, and there's all that to come. So, you know, I don't understand all of that at all. So I mean, that was, you know... At the, at my, my, top, my top paper stock 
is if make sure make sure there's got a feel to it. You know when you turn the page mm. and you've got a little bit of texture in it, so yeah. you can. You know, it makes you feel, it's like that sensory experience. People forget about yes. the touchy feel of paper. I think yes. it's important. Exactly, exactly. So, yes, I was I was asked to touch and feel papers. <laughs> it's paper. Oh, no, so I can't say that. Paul, Paul <laughs> fully nerded out when we were doing Not So Far. I, I was at GF Smith's for like a whole day going through all their papers. I just, you should, should go to C&G, GF Smith. They, their papers are mind-blowing. Um, right. And the chest again. There's so many. There's so many different variations. Yeah. I I got a spreadsheet actually. I can send you my paper spreadsheet if you want. Oh my god. Um, I, I that, didn't even. That'll be that great, Paul. I look. I look forward to that. <laughs> you, you. It'll be exciting for you. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Oh god. Um, I'm, I'm just having you. flashbacks to your like offset or digital, like this or that. Yeah. 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 You're asked to kind of make these decisions, and, and then and then people say, well, well it's your book. <laughs> yes, you're yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to own it. I want to own it. <laughs> Somebody else made the choices. Um, thank you, Roland. Really appreciate your time, mate. Really do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Lovely to talk to you. Thanks for having me on.